Well, let's give Parker a warm welcome tonight. And Parker, you just speak what the Lord put on your heart. What's up, Oakton? Let's give God some praise. Oh, I said let's give God some praise tonight. Y'all are quiet on a Wednesday. Let's wake up. Let me try this side over here real quick. Are y'all awake over here? I said, how is Oakton, Missouri doing tonight? Is anybody ready for some more of Jesus tonight? Got one person on the front row. Let me try this side. This is crazy. I'm, I'm Pentecostal now, so y'all are going to have to holler back at the preacher. All right? <laughs> That's just the way things roll now. Praise God. But I am so glad to be here. How many know who the heck I am? Basically everyone, raise your hand if you don't know who I am. Right? So some of y'all are saying, who is this crazy kid with a mohawk and a Saved by the Bell 1990s t-shirt on? Well, I grew up in this church my whole entire life. Uh, That's why I did not hesitate to come back here to to speak with us tonight because I believe uh, that God has a purpose for your life. And I believe that God uses me as a vessel uh, to encourage people with the gift that God has given you. And I believe that he wants to speak that so clearly to every single person that is in this room tonight. I don't care if you are in kindergarten. I don't care if you're 98 years old. I believe that God still, if you're breathing, he's got a purpose for your life. All right? Because that breath is a blessing from God. So tonight I believe that God wants to speak to you. So if you guys could do me a huge favor, let's stand to our feet as I get ready to read the word tonight. I think there's something powerful. Am I cutting in and out or is that just me? Second Kings chapter 2, I'm going to start in verse 1 and, and go to verse 13. And it says this, Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And if you have your Bible, I want you to underline some of these, these places in Scripture because these are the very places that we are going to visit tonight and the points of the message. And these places are very, very special. That's why they're in the Bible. If there wasn't a significance, they wouldn't be there. All right, but we're going to visit these places. So the first place is Gilgal. And it says that Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And hear this, Elijah said to Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. Alright, so that's another place you need to underline or highlight if you have a phone, is Bethel. Alright, it's more than just an amazing worship team with 20 minute spontaneous worship songs. Alright, it's a place in the Old Testament that Elijah and Elisha visited. But it says, Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel and the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, do you know today that the Lord will take away your master? And he said, yes, I know it, but keep quiet. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here. This is crazy. Like, I want you guys to just pause for a moment. I want you to see the dedication to the leader uh, that Elisha had, the respect for a man of God in the, in the Bible. 
He, he did not want to take his eyes off of him. He wanted to follow him. He wanted to be close to a man of God. I mean, there's something different about a man of God and a man of this world, all right? A, a man of God is someone that, that people run to, someone that people want to be around. And that's what Elijah was to Elisha. He was an amazing mentor, and he would not leave his side. But Elijah said to, or Elisha said, uh, please stay here for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he says, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, do you know today that the Lord will take away your master from you? And he says, I know, keep quiet. Then Elijah said to him, please stay here for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you and yourself, uh, you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. And then the Bible says 50 men or 50 sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them. And as they were both standing by the Jordan, Elijah took his cloak. Check this out. Y'all think the Bible's boring? Like, check this part out. It says he took his cloak and he rolled it up. (laughs) And he struck the water and the water was parted. To one side and one to the other, till the two of them walked over and threw on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Hear this, ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. Hear this response. And Elisha says, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And Elijah responded, you have asked for a very hard thing, yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still walked on and they were talking, it said that that behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up in the whirlwind into heaven. This is crazy. Then Elisha took hold of his own clothes and tore them into pieces. And he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to one side and to the other. And the Bible says that Elisha went over on dry ground. Father God, I thank you, Lord. For this night, Lord, I thank you, Father, for your word. As God, your word says that the grass withers, that the flowers fade, Father. But your word stands, Lord. Your word remains forever, God. So I thank you, Lord, for your word, God, and the life, Lord, the power, Lord, the authority, God, the boldness, Lord, that is in your word, Father. And I just pray tonight, Lord, that I would just be a vessel of this word, God, that I would, uh, as I have emptied myself, God, I pray, Lord, that you would fill me, Father, with yourself, Lord, that I speak nothing from myself, God, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. And the whole church says, amen. Our scripture tonight is is showing us a a transition that is taking place uh, in the office of the prophet for the nation of Israel. Now for those who who are not really fully aware maybe of the Old Testament and, and some of the things of the Old Testament, a prophet was someone who was inspired divinely by God to speak to the nation of Israel, to speak to God's people, right? He was like a mouthpiece 
to speak to the people uh, uh, the word of God, kind of like a, a preacher or, or, or a pastor of a church. He was a leader. He was an influential leader for God's people, all right? And we see a, a moment of, of transition beginning to take place. Uh, many people knew at this time in history that Elijah was going to be taken to heaven. Didn't you hear all the people? It was like repetitiveness. Don't you know that your leader is about to be taken from you? And Elijah's like, yes, I know this. Yes, I know this. But yet what I want us to really focus on tonight is the heart of Elisha and his requests and what he asked for. Because when you look at verse 9, verse 9 is such a loaded question. Like think about this. You guys know who Elijah is? Like he's the dude that called down fire from heaven to kill people. Like he was pretty crazy. He was pretty radical. God used him to do miraculous miracles. And I want you to think about this loaded question for a second with me. This guy, Elijah, who can literally just God uses in in mighty ways, comes up to you and says, all right, what do you want? (laughs) You could have anything. What do you want? I want you guys to think about for one second what your response would be If a mighty man of God came up to you and asked you, what do you want? Now, I know some of the thoughts that may be running through your mind. How many are thinking, man, I would want a million dollars. Man, I would want, I would want the new Yeezy Boost 350s Oreo edition, right? You guys know what I'm saying. The old people behind you don't have any idea. I want the Yeezy 350s Oreo black and white. I want a nicer truck, a a nicer car, a fancier car, a bigger house, a better paying job. Like those are some of the things that if we could be transparent, probably went through your mind tonight. But what I want you to do is I want you to take that thought and I want you to throw it in the trash. Because we can see the evidence of scripture that that is not where the treasure is found. Elisha, he brings out something even to myself, that makes me want to strive for more in my relationship with Jesus. He, he, he asked something crazy. He asked something radical. It was a very bold request. And if we could be honest with us, a lot of our prayer requests or, or a lot of our asking of the Lord today has become very self-centered. It, it, it's all about what can it do to benefit me But if you would just pause for a second and think about what Elisha's request was for, it was actually not just for himself, but he knew the anointing of God when it is on your life. It is not just for you. It is for the world around you. And I want us to, for one second, just think about if that could be happen or or that question could be asked to me, what would my response be? And Elisha says to Elijah, Probably it even caught him off guard. He's like, whoa, (laughs) bro, you just took things to a whole different level here. I was not expecting that. He says, you've asked a hard thing. Elisha says, no, I want a double portion of your spirit. I I want a double portion of your spirit. Now, let me just pause here for a second because this, this message or this text can be taken out of context so easily. Because we want to say, oh, Elisha, he did two times more miracles than Elijah. That's why he asked it. That is true, but that is not why he asked it. Because I could see the heart of Elisha. 
And he knew the calling that God had on his life. And he knew he could not fulfill that calling unless he had a double portion of what this man of God had. Because there's going to be moments in your life, church, when you're going to be faced with difficulties that your natural man's not going to be able to get you through. Only the power and the spirit of God living inside you is going to bring you through those times. And Elisha goes, man, I just want a double portion. I just want a double portion of the Holy Spirit. I want a double portion of the anointing that is on your life. I want just a little bit. I want just a taste of that on my life. Just a little bit. I just want a taste of it. So tonight, we're going to talk about the four places that we go to receive this double portion. If you want to go deeper with God in your relationship, you've been in your prayer closet, you've been like, man, God, I want you to stretch me. God, I want you to take me farther than I've ever been before. This message is for you tonight. If you want to be comfortable in your Christianity, this message is not for you tonight. This is for people who are ready to go even deeper with Jesus. Am I preaching to anyone tonight? Because I'm preaching to myself because I was on, I was in my daughter's room this morning. I was, I took the day off to just pray and, and just seek the Lord's face because I take preaching seriously. It's more important than my secular job. So I was like, yo, I ain't coming to work today. I've got, I've got to study for a message. I've got my ordination test this Saturday. God comes first. So man, I'm just sitting in my bedroom this morning and, and, and man, I'm just like, God, this, I just started crying. Like literally not just like, they were like tears flowing from my face because I was like, man, Parker, this message is so much still for me. We, we, we still, I don't care how long you've been saved. You, we need more of God's presence in our life and the world that we live in. Let's not get too comfortable with where we are. And I feel like so many churches right now, we're getting too comfortable. But we're, we're getting way too comfortable. The chairs are nicer, the buildings get nicer, the worship and the music gets nicer, and we, we, we come to church more to be entertained. But here's the thing, I didn't come to entertain you tonight, I came to empower you tonight. I came to empower you tonight because that is what God wants to do in, in, in this community. I believe that so much. That's what he wanted to do in El Dorado. That was the, the heart was, man, God wants to just to break out in our lives if we would just allow him to. So tonight, this is, this is a breakthrough night. Pastor Kent said he came, or, or we planned this back, I think it was last month, and we had a cancellation because of snow. You guys were in like an awakening series. This is a message to awaken your heart. Because we pray for revival, but revival doesn't happen unless an awakening begins within us. Amen? Revival don't happen unless an awakening personally happens within the church. Amen? So I pray tonight that we be awakened. So here are the four places that we go if we want God to totally change our life, if we want a double portion of the Holy Spirit, if we want to walk in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The first place we have to go is Gilgal. Everybody say that with me. Gilgal. We have to go to Gilgal. We see Elijah take Elisha here first. And Gilgal gets its origin in Joshua chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. And in the, in the context of, I'm not going to read those nine verses, but in the context of this scripture, God, he, he's about to send the next generation of the Israelites into the promised land. We know the story. The first generation, the old fogies, they, they were scared. They, they didn't want to take a step out into faith. So they said, okay, we'll just chill in the desert. God says, okay, I'll, because there's, God can always call somebody else if you don't want to be used. 
That's just the truth. Did I say I'm not a tickle your ears preacher either? <laughs> I'll tell you how it is. If, if you don't want to be used by God, God won't force himself on you. But I want to be used by God. All right? So this next generation of Israelites... God's like, man, these are my people. They're going to go into the promised land. There's this guy, Joshua. There's this guy, Caleb. Out of all the spies, these two dudes were like, yo, we can do this because God said so. And if God says so, then it's going to be so, right? So this is what's going on here. And, and, and before they go into this land, God spoke to Joshua. And he told him, he told him to circumcise the men of Israel. So Gilgal, if you want to bear with me, is a place of separation. Everybody say that with me. Separation. All right. Gilgal is the place of separation. God told Joshua that the men of Israel, they needed to be circumcised. Now I promise you tonight, I do not have any PowerPoint pictures or presentations for those who don't know what circumcision is. All right. But we'll just keep it very small. It very simple. It simply means separating or cutting away of the flesh. And all the men said, amen. Thank you, Jesus. We're under the new covenant law. All right. All right. (laughs) But this was a painful process. But yet God said this needs to happen. This, this has to happen. We, we, we need, as a people, we need to be separated from the world. We, we, we need a different identity. We need a different walk in our step. We need a different talk in our mouth, all right? This was God's way of saying, man, you guys are different. You're called to live different. So how do we cut off our flesh? Right? You, you, you're sitting here saying, man, this circumcision, this physical circumcision, this doesn't have to deal with me, this separation of the flesh, that's Old Testament. No. I love what, the, what Paul says in, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. He says this, when you came to Christ, how many of you guys have been saved by Jesus tonight? Hear this tonight. It says, when you came to Christ, you were, quote unquote, circumcised. Hear this, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, which is the cutting away of your sinful nature. Amen. Once again, thank you, Jesus, that we're not under the old covenant law. Thank you, Jesus. The Holy Spirit has now been engrafted within me whenever the moment I confess that Jesus is my Lord. The Bible says the Holy Spirit literally comes and he makes his home inside of my heart. But I don't know about you guys. My home gets dirty sometimes. You guys' house get dirty? Or is it just me because I have a seven-month-old baby? Let me tell you, Mondays and Thursdays come quick when the diapers got to go outside because the, the little thing, the little diaper genie bin is full. Right? The dishes pile up. The laundry needs done. Thank you, Lord, for my wife. Right? That's the thing. Our houses get dirty over time. It's the same with our spiritual house. If we don't allow the Holy Spirit to cleanse us, to clean our house, if we don't go to Gilgal more than just on Sunday, our houses get dirty. They need cleansing. Because that's what the Bible says about you. Is He says in the New Covenant Law, you're a, a, a temple of His Holy Spirit. If you're in Christ Jesus tonight, the presence of God literally lives inside of you. You're kind of a big deal to him. 
So in order for that to happen, I think I need to keep my house a little cleaner than we do at times. We need to go to Gilgal a little more often than we do at times as the church and as his people. We need to separate ourselves on a daily basis away from the things of this world. And that is why Elisha, he, or Elijah took Elisha there. He's like, man, if you want to walk in this, you first got to be separated from the flesh. Because let me tell you something, church, every single morning you wake up and look in the mirror, there's an enemy that is that a, a nature that if you let take over your spiritual nature will take you places and, and make you do things that you never wanted to do. There is a battle going on every single moment of your life. It's in your mind. It's inside of you. You can't see it, but it's going on. And that is why Elijah says to Elisha, man, if you want to walk with a different walk and you want to talk with a different talk and you want to live different than the world around you, if you want to have a peace in the midst of a storm, if you want God to use you to do great and mighty things, you got you to continually separate yourself from this world. you you got to cut things out of your life. And that's the thing about circuses, and sometimes it hurts. It don't always feel good. I love what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 18. Jesus was a bold preacher and a teacher. Look at what Jesus says. These words are in red, so I didn't say it. This isn't the PG translation tonight. This is like what the Bible says. Look at, look at the importance of cutting away of the flesh. This is what Jesus says. Matthew 18 verses 8 through 9. It says, if your hand, everybody raise your hand, raise your foot. Jesus says, if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. <laughs> it is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown in eternal fire. Look at your eyeball. Touch your eyeball. Don't literally touch it. That would be gross. Right? But he says, and if your eye causes you to sin, he says, tear it out. Yeah. Circumcision is painful. <laughs> now the women have a taste of it. I'm just kidding. Right? He says, it's better for you to enter life with, or enter into life with one eye than with two eyes then be thrown into, into hell and into the lake of fire for eternity. Now, if this scripture was to be taken literally, our church would be filled with pews with broken body parts. <laughs> but I think Jesus was wanting to make an important point to us. Is sometimes in life we think we need something. I feel like preaching now. Sometimes in life we feel like we need something. I didn't say God says we need something. I said we feel like. That's that, that's that evil guy inside of you still. Sometimes we think, man, this hand is pretty important. But yet if that hand ain't doing things to glorify God, Jesus says you better cut whatever is causing that hand to do whatever it's doing. And throw it out. Because it ain't worth it. If your eyes are, or, man, eyes could be good for, for, that's how I found my wife was, man, she was good looking. <laughs> right? But if you don't use your eyes for good things, you might as well plug it out. Your feet, man, they're awesome. You could run, you could jump, you could skip if you like skipping. I don't know, I don't skip. Right? 
But if your feet are taking you places you shouldn't be going, Jesus says, it's not that important. It needs to go. We need to know this in our spiritual walk with Christ, guys. That's how powerful, that's how, that's how important it is. Jesus says it's not that important. What you may think is important, if it doesn't line up with what God's word says, it's not important. And it needs to go. Even if it hurts. Even if it's hard. It needs to go. Right? So that's the first place. Y'all still awake? Good. Because I still got three more points. <laughs> Second place is Bethel. Everybody say Bethel. And like I said before, man, it's, it's not just an amazing worship team. Man, Bethel is a place, everybody say desperation. All right, so we have separation, now we have desperation. That's one thing about me is I am a simple preacher. I make my points, if you're taking notes, they rhyme because you can remember things that way a lot easier. Right, so we have separation, at least it, that's the way it was for me. Y'all remember, where's Miss Ray at? She's a math teacher. Do you remember, were you the one that taught us KISS about math? It was called KISS. How many know what I'm talking about? Keep it simple, stupid, right? That's this guy. (laughs) That's this guy with reading the word. I got to keep it simple because I'm stupid, right? I didn't say you were. I said I was. So, all right, we have separation. Now we have desperation, Bethel and Scripture, we see this in Genesis chapter 12, verse 8. We see it in Genesis chapter 3, or excuse me, Genesis chapter 13, verse 3. And then again, we see it in in Genesis chapter 28, uh, 10 through 19. Bethel was a place where where altars were built. Bethel was a place, it uh, it was known as the house of God, all right? It was the place where people went to experience the presence of God. We see Bethel also the place where Jacob saw a heavenly vision. And we see that he even set a pillar as a monument up to worship God there. All right, so Bethel, I believe in so much in my heart, is a place of desperation. It's a place of of falling upon the altar of God and seeking more of God in your life. And that is why I did not hesitate to come to this church tonight because this was my Bethel for 20 years of my life. I won't get emotional, I promise. But this place has such a special place in my heart. Because I can take you almost to every single room in this church. And I can tell you exactly what went on in that room in my life. I can take you to the very, where nobody, does anybody go to the basement anymore? Awesome. It's a great place to be. I can take you to the basement all the way to the far right back room. And Miss Jojo, who's sitting on the back row, I remember we were in Generation Jesus Kids Church. I was eight years old. And she was doing a puppet display. And she was talking about heaven and hell. I remember that. You probably don't even remember that, Jojo. I remember it. Because it, it was a Bethel moment for me. It was the moment that man, the Holy Spirit at eight years old, spoke into my heart and said, man, I love you, Parker. <laughs> and I've called you to come home. I've called you to be my son. I died on the cross for your sins. That was the room that I started my salvation experience in. I can take you upstairs to to those two rooms, which used to be the youth rooms. On both corners, junior high, then senior high. I could could share moments of of Eric England and, and Mike Diggs feeding and sowing the word of God into us. 
I could take you moments of, of these altars whenever I was in youth. And then even after I came back from Chicago, just coming up to the altars and pouring my heart out to God, just crying because I just wanted God. I just wanted the move of God in my life. Bethel is a place of desperation. It's a place of, of laying your life down at the altar of God and saying, God, I, I, I'm, I'm just giving everything that I am to you. God, I'm giving all, all that I have to you because you're worthy of it. We sing about tonight, is he worthy? He's worthy, church, of every single ounce and fiber that you have in your body to give back to him. Because he laid his life down for you because that's how much he loved you. So Elijah wanted Elisha to know, son, don't ever lose your desperation. Because if you lose your desperation for God, you lose everything. There was a famous American uh, a poet. I don't remember what his name was. It was Curtis something. Let me read the quote. I think I have it in my notes because I don't want to butcher this. But it really made me think for a second. I think I must get my love of poetry from my grandpa because he's into poetry. You would really love the studying I'm doing right now because I'm doing the poetry books, right? Psalms, Proverbs. You would love it, Grandpa. It's been tough for me to get through. (laughs) But Curtis, Curtis Bukowski, all right, he was an American poet. This is what he said about himself because he could relate this with his life. And I'm going to relate it back with yours here in a second. Listen to this quote. He says, writers are desperate people. And when they stop being desperate, they stop being writers. What if I flip the script here tonight? And I said this, Christians are desperate people. But when we stop being desperate, we stop being Christians. That got me good. Church, we cannot lose our desperation for a move of God in our life. So what does being desperate for God look like? You're saying, Parker, man, I got to be desperate. What does this look like? How do, how do I apply this to my life? I went to one of those Psalms, and it was in Psalm 63, verse 1. And this is David crying out in the wilderness. And he says, God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. How many of y'all have searched for God today? Or how many of y'all just woke up and said, another day? Going through the motions. Another day. Don't want to go to work. Hate my job. Hate my life. Hate school. Pointless. Or how many of us have searched for God and say, God, I want to see you move in a way I've never seen you move today. Right? Look at the second one. There's three things in just one verse of how we can be desperate for God. I challenge you guys to go home and read Psalm 63. You want to talk about desperate Take it from a man who the Bible says was a man after God's own heart. David was desperate. Was he perfect? No. God don't chase perfection. Because we'll never be perfect. Right? He doesn't chase perfection. He chases just progress. Chases progress. And David was a man who was after God's heart. He says, I search for you. He says, my soul thirsts for you. How many of you guys got thirsty today? I'm thirsty right now. (laughs) 
They asked me if I wanted water. I said, nope. Because I never need it. But I'm thirsty right now. My throat is dry. Right? But how many of us have thirsted for God today? How many of us have have just been like, man, I, I need you, God, right now in this moment more than I need water? That's desperation. And then he says, my whole body longs for you or, or I desire you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. Church, we cannot lose our desperation. Because if you lose your desperation, you lose everything. The third place, the third place is Jericho. Everybody say Jericho with me. And we see this in verse 4 of, of 2 Kings. This is a place of expectation. Say that. Expectation. So we have what first? Second. And third. Expectation. Man, y'all are preaching now. I thought Michael was preaching now. He looked sharper than I did. Man, he came to church with a tie on. Man, I was like, Michael, you preaching? I was like, nope, leaving that up to you. Right? Thank you. I appreciate it. I promised I need Jesus more than that, that drink of water. But I didn't need a drink of water. All right. The third place is expectation. How many of you guys remember the story in Joshua chapter 6? This was the place where, where we saw or we learned in Sunday school the walls of Jericho. And what did they do? They came a tumbling down, right? This was the place... Of expectation. Now, this was crazy because what we see in this account uh, of this command of God telling uh, the Israelites what to do, it wasn't really in reality what we would have chosen to do, right? If God says, Hey, I've given you this city, like I would have said, Okay, God, I'm going to go take my army and we're going to start throwing like fire and start burning this thing to the ground, right? We're going to start fighting, we're going to start having wars, we're going to start a war, right? We're going to be doing stuff. That would be the way that we would try to take over something. But yet God, he, he does something crazy. Because if you want to live for God, you better not get used to being comfortable. Because he does things differently. Just so he can bring glory to himself because he can do that. Because he's awesome. Right? So what does he do? He tells the Israelites to, to walk around one time for how many days? Six straight days. And then on the seventh day, I walk around it seven times. And then on the seventh time, blow your trumpets and give out a big yeehaw, right? A shout. I think Elijah was wanting to remind Elisha that as Christians, we do not serve an ordinary God. We serve a God who takes the ordinary and does the extraordinary with it. And we can see that with the walls of Jericho. Because the Bible says they literally, on the seventh time, they came straight. And, and, and the Bible says they were flat. Like, I don't, I don't even know how to, and, and scientists and all these people have, have and theologians, and, and people try to wrap their minds around this. I don't even think we can wrap our minds around that. It didn't say they crumbled. It didn't say they, they piled up. It says they just went flat. Because God is a God who can take the ordinary 
your ordinary life, let's apply this to you now, your ordinary, boring life, going to school, going to your, your job, doing your same routine, but if applied and you change maybe your perspective or your attitude to where, God, I'm expecting you to do something today, how, how, how much different would your day look? Because that's the thing, I think at times we, we don't live with anticipation or expectation for God to do anything in our life because we don't think he really can. We've been lied to so much by the enemy and we listen to it, but that's not true. God could take your ordinary life and do something great with it. I believe that so much. Y'all don't believe me? Here, here's a testimony that just happened. We just found out, I think it was yesterday. I think it was yesterday. We have a girl in our church, won't say names. She's not very old, right? Just had a baby. Doctor said, man, we think you got cancer, but we got to come back and, and do tests on it, right? And that was tough for her to swallow. That's tough for me to swallow because I love these people, love them so much. But we believed in faith that they just had a new baby and this was not God's plan. And we prayed and we believed and I encouraged them. I said, man, uh, the, the, the storm may be rocking your boat, but Jesus is in your boat. That's the only thing I could say to them. <laughs> the storm may be rocking your boat tonight. I don't know what's going on in your life. But let me tell you, the, the Bible says that Jesus was still on that boat with them, right? So you may be rocking and, and life may not be making sense to you, but Jesus is still with you. And if you believe that he's going to get you through, he will. Because here's the thing about a storm, the sunshine eventually will come out. <laughs> and you'll eventually get through whatever you may be battling. But yeah, we didn't, we didn't accept this. We didn't believe it. We believe that God, that, that we serve a God who does extraordinary things just like he did in the Bible. Because if you don't believe that everything in that Bible can apply to you, why are you even here tonight? God is a God who could do the extraordinary. We, we, her reports came back. Doctors like, Mirage is like, hey, we don't see nothing. Like, there ain't no cancer there. And we're like, we know that because God has got his hand on this situation. I could tell you about, I could tell you about something. I could tell you another thing. This was, this is a story for those who, who don't believe me that God could take your ordinary boring life that you don't like going to every day and use it to do something good with. I worked construction for like, uh, six years. Hated it. But whenever I realized, I'm going to steal this, this line from Pastor Webb because he posted it on Facebook. And I'm like, hey, I can relate to that. Pastor Webb, he, he posted on his Facebook and, and, and I thought this was awesome. He says you could take or, or God could take your misery and make it your ministry. And I can tell you of a moment that I finally quit feeling sorry for myself and say, God, why do you have me here working construction and carpentry, hanging drywall? And I can tell you, and I could take you to down to Joplin, the new library is where we were working. Worked there for like three, four months straight. You want, if you think the drywall hanging was horrible there, it was me. So I apologize. <laughs> right? But I could go in there and I could take you into the men's bathroom. We were hanging tile board. And my partner, man, he was just, one day he just started pouring his heart out to me. Because people knew at my job who I was. That's one thing about me is, is I'm going to let people know who I am and what I stand up for. 
right? That's just, that's just me. That's the way I've always been. And Charles, he's my buddy, man. I love this kid. Ended up having him come to church with me, prayed for him at the altar. He asked, he rededicated his life to God. I haven't seen him since. It, like I said, it's crazy how God works. But I could, I could take you into the bathroom. Man, he just started pouring his heart out to me. And I said, Charles, I'm going to pray for you. Can you imagine that? Like we're at a construction site. Have you ever heard people talk at a construction site? Ain't nobody praying on no construction site. I just laid my hands on him and said, Charles, I'm going to pray for you. You got a lot going on, man. But I said, but I know God has a plan for your life. And the tears began to flow on that man's face on the construction site. You don't think God is an extraordinary God that can take your ordinary life and do something great with it. You need to know that tonight. I don't care who you are. I don't, I, I don't know who I'm talking to tonight, but I'm talking to somebody real, real, real deep on this point. I don't care what the world has labeled you. God can take your life and do something great with it. You need to believe that. You need to cling on to that because that's the truth. Your life does matter. It does have a purpose. And that purpose is in Jesus Christ. That purpose is the anointing of the Holy Spirit on your life. Because we serve a God who can't, can take the ordinary and do the extraordinary. I could take you, man, I could share a lot of testimonies. My daughter, and she's beautiful, isn't she? Everybody says she looks like me, so if you don't think I'm good looking, you're lying. Because if you ever said she's cute, you just basically said I'm cute. <laughs> Because that's my twin. <laughs> that's my baby. I love her so much. Love you too, brother. <laughs> Security. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'll, share, I'll share another testimony. Because sometimes I think we can relate with testimonies more than me just standing up here sometimes. But last year, uh, July the 25th, that little baby was born. Things didn't go as I had planned. <laughs> and that's why I get so emotional now because I hear and what God's done in her life. But when she came out, man, she was purple and blue. She wasn't breathing. Very faintly if she was. She she couldn't breathe. And man, I knew my, I knew God had a plan and a purpose for her life because he told me that. So sometimes when you're walking through this point, it's hard. Because you have to walk by faith and not by sight. And I think this point trips a lot of people up from pressing in even deeper. And let me tell you, I did not question God one time through that season, even though it was only three or four days. It was hard, man. You're your new baby and you can't even see her. You can't even spend time with her. She's got all this stuff hooked up to her because she can't breathe. That's hard. 
But me and my wife, we kept clinging to the promise of God. That he had a plan for. And we didn't question it. So tonight, if you're going through, through a difficult season, and man, you've been expecting God to do something and you haven't seen it yet, don't give up. Don't give up. You press in even deeper. As my dad says, when, when you don't start a fight, but if someone starts a fight, you finish it. The devil wants to start a fight, you better finish it. And you finish it at the feet of Jesus. And you press in even deeper when it's hard. When you don't feel like it, you press in even deeper. Because God is a God who can take ordinary lives and do extraordinary things. He can take ordinary things and make them extraordinary. He can take dead things and make them breathe again. That is who he is. Y'all ever heard Waymaker? That's a new song out. That's, that just, I just started singing that in my heart as I was saying that. Because that is who God is. That's who he is. Then my last point tonight. My last point tonight, verse 6, it's the Jordan River. It's the Jordan River. This is a place of expiration. (laughs) This is a place of expiration. Y'all ever drank expired milk? It's gross. It ain't good. It's nasty. (laughs) Right? It needs to go out. Right? That's what this place is. It's saying, man, sometimes we're nasty and we need to get out so that God could come in. And what's symbolic and, and amazing about the Jordan River and why I believe that, that Elijah took Elisha here is if you look at a map, the Jordan River flows in, into the Dead Sea. Right? The Jordan River flows into the Dead Sea. So, so I think Elijah, his last point, his last moment with this next generation, and he, he wanted him to know this so desperately You need to separate yourself. You need to be desperate. You need to live with an expectation and you need to have an expiration. You need to go to your funeral every single day of your life. Because if you truly want to live for God, you've got to die to yourself every single day. And I believe that's why he took him here at this last place. Because this is the place that every single one of us have to go on a daily basis. We have to go and attend our own burial every single day day and I know some of y'all are saying man that sounds crazy it's the truth it's the truth we need to go to our funeral every single day that we wake up Jesus says in John chapter 12 John chapter 12 verses 24 he says truly truly so if Jesus says this is true then it's true right <laughs> he said it not once but twice right he says I say to you unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies it remains alone, but if it dies, it, bear, it bears much fruit. Jesus is giving us this beautiful image, this, this beautiful illustration of the power of first him laying his life down in the grave and dying for us. Have you all ever seen the fruit of Jesus' death? Look around in this church tonight. When, when, when Jesus, the moment that the Bible says he gave up his spirit, See, the devil didn't kill Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus himself gave up his spirit. He, he, he submitted under the will of the Father. And he died on the cross for your sins. 
So, so he put his life in the ground. But yet here's the thing. Jesus gives an illustration of a grain of wheat. When you put a grain of wheat in the ground, it doesn't grow up the same thing you planted. It grows up with something different. But this grain of wheat that was planted, the moment it dies, it, what comes up is a little different. But yet it produces even more heads of wheat. And, and even and if you want to break it down and get real specific, there could be 40 to 50 uh, grains of wheat on one head. Like that's what Jesus is talking about. He's like, man, we, we lay our life down. When I lay my life down, you're going to see the evidence and the fruit that's going to come up from this. And it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be a harvest. It's going to be plentiful. But yet, this applies to us as Christians tonight. We need to lay our life in the ground just like Jesus did. We need to die to our flesh on a daily basis. The first thing that you do when you wake up shouldn't be to check your phone. And see how many Facebook likes you got overnight. Or how many uh, uh, Instagram followers you got on your last post overnight that man you thought man nailed it awesome picture fabulous filters right that shouldn't be the first thing you think about the first thing you think about said god i need you today and i gotta die to this flesh because i know there's an an enemy who hasn't been sleeping like i have and i just need to reset right now my mind before i even take a step out the bed that needs to be the first thing that comes on your mind you need to die to yourself in your own bed here's why when we do this as the church, when, when, when you personally die, hear this kids, when, when you die and you go to school, not in your flesh, but in the spirit of God, the fruit and the evidence of your life is going to affect the people around you. Because that's what the Bible says. If Jesus said it, I believe it. Right? He says the fruit of your life, the moment you actually say, God, I'm giving and I'm going all out for you. He says it's going gonna, it's gonna to produce a fruit, not just for you, but for the people around you. Because that's what the Holy Spirit does to us as the church. Is he doesn't just fill you for you. He fills you so that you can go out and give, and give that, that, that love, that passion, that desire that he has given you and give it to someone else. But we have to die to our flesh. We've got to lay our life down at the altar. All, uh, praise team, you guys can come up. I'm closing tonight. I'm closing tonight. And I do believe this is the last place that, that Elijah took Elisha for a purpose. And this is what the Bible says in, in Galatians chapter 2 verses 20. Paul says this. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And then he says, and, and the life I now live in the flesh. Hear this. He doesn't say I live in the flesh. He doesn't say the life I'm, I'm living in the flesh, I'm living in the flesh. No, he says the life I'm living, I'm living in the spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. That's capital S. That's an important spirit to have in your life. That's the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And he says he's living inside of you. But yet here's the thing. That little spirit is still there. And you've got to kick him out the crib before the day even starts. And you've got to give the big spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit, complete control. Complete 
authority, complete reign in your life. And Paul says, I now live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and he gave himself for me. Bow your heads with me tonight. Bow your heads with me tonight. I I believe this message was for somebody besides myself because it was for me too. (laughs) But I want us to have a self-examination process of our life. And you guys can play some music now if you want to. I'm wrapping up. I want us to self-examine our hearts tonight. Because I feel like the reason why I came here, I felt like God showed me, is there are, there are a lot of, of embers in this, in this church tonight. There's a, there's a, for those that don't know what an ember is, that means there's a, there's a little fire in there but that's, that's still burning. It's still ablaze. It's still glowing. You can still see it. It still has a little heat on it. But yet what I felt like so desperately in my spirit was that God wants to breathe upon your fire tonight. He wants to breathe upon the ember. Man, it may be dwindling. It may be flickering, but it's still there. And he wants to breathe that, that little ember into a flame. And I believe so much that as the church, when our flames begin to get lit and begin to grow and begin to light up again, we'll begin to cause a forest fire. And we'll begin to take over acres of the world around us. And we'll begin to move and we'll begin to do things like we see in the book of Acts with the early church. Because you want to know why they did so many great things is because they took this message seriously. They were hungry for a double portion. They were thirsty for a mighty move of God upon their life. They weren't satisfied with where they were. They weren't content with their spiritual life. They didn't say, oh, I'm doing all right. They said, God, I want to go all in. And I felt like tonight the altar call is for people maybe tonight who who, who just want a new and a fresh and a mighty touch of God on their life. Maybe you've been coming to church and going through the motions. I've been there. I've done that. I've bought the t-shirt a few times. But let me tell you something. There's more to life than that. There are people around you at your school and at your job that need a touch of Jesus. And you may be the only Jesus that they see. So these altars are open tonight. Pastor Kent's going to be up here. I'm going to be up here. If you want personal prayer. But these altars, everybody says, oh, I could just pray in my seat. There's something about getting out the seat. Because if you can't be bold in church, you ain't going to be bold in the world. And I want us tonight, if, if, if this message has touched your heart, if you want a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit, you want to walk in the anointing of God, you want God to do something different, do something new, do something fresh in your life. I want you not just to think about it. I want you just to start coming up tonight. I want you just to start laying your face at the feet. And I want you just to cry. There's nothing wrong with crying. When was the last time that you cried in church? Because that's desperation. So if you want a touch of God tonight, these altars are open. I just ask that you come.